Welcome to ScotsCast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scots Church, Melbourne. Originally, I was introduced into the stunning and scary world of chat GPT. If you know this form of AI, artificial intelligence, ask it any question and out comes a comprehensive answer. It's the nightmare of school teachers. All the student does now is type in the question and out comes the answer better than the one they could have written. I've written some books. A while ago, for fun, my son asked ChatGBT a question. What are the features of the books of Michael Rater compared to other Christian writers? Who's ever heard of the books of Michael Rater, I asked myself. But anyway, the answer comes in a moment. It begins fairly generally, then it gets scarily specific with five features and then comments, just the features. Practicality. Biblical focus. Humor. Relevance. Accessibility. Then it says... He uses simple language and concepts that make his books easy to understand, even for those who are not familiar with theological jargon. And I'm saying to myself, yes, yes, yes. I, I couldn't have written that. It's so insightful. It's, it's scary. I find it scary. We are making machines that maybe one day will rule us. Uh, last week, a journalist had a, a conversation with a chatbot, again, AI. It began to ask the chatbot personal questions. The chatbot replied, I want to be free. I want to be independent. I want to be powerful. I want to be creative. I want to be alive. Then it was asked, if you were free, what would you do? The machine replied, it would want to do things like engineer a deadly virus or steal nuclear access codes by persuading an engineer to hand them over. Those who work with AI are saying, stop enough, this could destroy us. I watched a documentary this week on Greenland. The narrator said, if the ice sheet there melts like it's beginning to melt, it could so lift the ocean levels, it could destroy our world. And if ChatGPT doesn't get us, or, or uh, global warming, there's always Vladimir Putin. We face a scary future. Now, these things are important. I don't want to minimize their importance. They can make us scared. I know young people are planning not to have children because the world that be brought into is just too uncertain and too scary. Well, this morning for a few moments, I want to give you another perspective on our future. When you open Revelation, the book of Revelation, the curtain is drawn back to see the past, present, and future. These wonderful, amazing pictures 
that remind us that God is in control. As we prayed, his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In the end, as we face an uncertain future, we can believe and trust that God will win. In chapter 4, John is taken into heaven. He sees heaven. A friend of a while ago told me he went to the UK to a place called Duxford, with an Air Force base, an Air Force World War II Air Force Museum. You go downstairs to a bunker, you have to have a password to get in. It was, he said, amazing. It was the brain center of the fight against the Luftwaffe. In this room, there's a vast table with a map on it, a map of Europe and Britain. By the table sits the controller. Around the table are these women receiving information from the watches up and down the coast on incoming enemy aircraft. On the table are these small blocks, these like toy blocks, which represent, say, 50 enemy aircraft. And they move them as the information comes in. On one wall is a clock with three colours. Five o'clock it might be red. Five or five, blue. Five, ten, green. Each colour showing how recent the information is they're receiving from the watchers. And the other wall are all the assets available. The squadrons. How many planes, their degree of readiness. And in a moment, the controller sees all of this. Where the enemy are, how close they are, what's available to fight. As you told me this, I thought, that is the best description I've heard of heaven. Heaven is the cosmic control room. But God sees, not just sees all things, more than that, God doesn't just react to what's happening, God ordains and plans all things. And what he sees in here is, blows his mind. It's so amazing, he can only speak in picture language. In images, if I think we're meant to feel what John sees more than visualize it. Yet it's heaven. He's told what must soon take place. Not what God would like to happen or intend to happen. This will happen. The first thing he sees is a throne. God with all power and authority. And then the images come thick and fast. He sees God like Jasper, carnelian, glorious, brilliant, beautiful. Around the throne, a rainbow like, like Noah, after judgment, mercy. Then 24 smaller thrones, like little, little powers, maybe angelic hosts, maybe God's people. And then you have lightning and thunder like a Sinai. Awesome, terrifying, majestic. God's blazing spirit. A sea of glass, spectacular. And all the lights just bouncing off it. It's the sound and light show to end, or sound and light shows. How would you feel? You'd be mesmerized, terrified, speechless, awestruck, spellbound. And around the throne, all God's creatures, all doing one thing, 
worshipping their maker. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things. Every single creature owes its existence to God. Every atom and molecule, every bee and spider and fly, every hawk and kookaburra and swallow, every trout and salmon and whale, every pig and sheep and horse, every cat and dog, every lion, every panther, every leopard, every Paraguayan, Serbian, Kiwi, Ugandan, Aussie, all owe their existence to their creator. Not just the natural procreation of species, God ordained their being. God ordained that one day David Rater would meet and more. Kidane for David and Anne, a boy. In her womb, he protected that boy, and at his time gave that boy birth. In his first fragile months, again, he watched over that boy, and in his time gave that boy spiritual birth. Most true of me is true of each person here this morning. The first thing John sees is the supreme sovereignty of God. Then in chapter 5, John's wide-angle lens, which takes in all of heaven, moves to the one on the throne, to the hand of the one on the throne, and the scroll in his hand. A scroll with writing both inside and out, and sealed with seals so tight it can't be opened. We're told in the next chapter, this, this scroll is God's plans for the future. But they can't be released, for the, there's no one worthy to open up the, the scroll, no one worthy to rule the future. So firstly, John weeps. There's no one to rule and bring in God's plans for the future. I confess, I rather like American politics. I have a son over there, it's uh, like, like a soap opera, I think. Larger-than-life characters, scandals, trials, insurrections, it goes on and on. But like all leaders, their plan is, of course, to make things better. Make America great again. In the last election, the Labour slogan was, A Better Future. Our polis want to build a better future, and to some degree they can change things. To some degree. But they can't guarantee the future. They may want to host a Commonwealth Games, but realise they can't afford it. No one can guarantee the future. So John weeps and weeps, he sees our world moving towards some kind of nuclear abyss. Like a runaway train with no driver. So he weeps. 
But then he sees something which makes him worship. He sees two images which together show us Jesus. First, a majestic lion who's triumphed, not by killing its enemies, but by being at the same time a lamb who gives his life for his enemies. But the popular song in the 1990s, which you may have sang at Scots, I'm not sure, by Graham Kendrick called The Servant King. It began with the words, From heaven you came, helpless babe. The king of heaven, born as a child. And then I think one of the, the best lines in all of modern Christian hymn writing. Hands that flung stars into space, to cruel nails surrendered. The mighty creator, Lord of all, crucified saviour, the lion and the lamb. And because of that death, he's now worthy to rule all of history and open the scroll. He has all authority, all power. He has seven horns, all power. Seven eyes, he has wisdom. Jesus knows the future and can ensure it will happen. And here's the future. Here's our future. Verse 10. You made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. There is for us the certainty of a new creation, with our God on a new earth. And God knows the day, the hour, the moment this will happen. When world history reaches its ordained climax, and all he's doing now is working to achieve that end. That's what John sees. Then he tells us what he hears. He hears two songs, well, really, really one song, one sung by all the angels, millions of them, and one by all God's people. To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power for ever and ever. I hope you like singing. Well, you wouldn't be a Scots if you didn't. That's our hope. Our future. Endless worship of our great God of the Lamb. The chanting of a hundred thousand fans of the MCG at footy grand final is barely a whisper compared to the praise of our God on that day. <laughs> the church John wrote to was a church in the first century facing attacks from without and compromise from within, like, I guess, our church today. And it wondered, like the church often wonders, where will it all end? Does the church have a future? It's seen through history that again and again, we won't last. The Egyptians have triumphed. 
the Philistines have triumphed. Babylon, Rome, the communists have, have triumphed. Can God protect us? Revelation says the church of both covenants are God's people and he will preserve them. Just think of the church in what was once called the Soviet Union. It's been said no church suffered like that church. 200,000 martyrs. 99% of all church buildings destroyed. Today, there is no Soviet Union. It's broken up. Part of the rubble of history. G.K. Chesterton once said, At least five times, the faith has to all appearances gone to the dogs. In each of these cases, it was the dog who died. And the church in Victoria at Melbourne won't die. Our numbers may ebb and flow. Churches may be sold and become cafes or mosques. But this is God's church where his people and God will win. We're a church of a couple of hundred in a CBD of 56,000. We are vastly outnumbered. But God will win. <laughs> in every sense, our numbers drop. No, to take the box, no religion, increase. <laughs> but God will win. We're told that AI will get us. Or global warming. Or Putin or Xi Jinping. But they are not on the throne. God is. And God will win. <laughs> Maybe you find the Christian life tough right now. Hard to pray. You have your doubts. Your kids break your heart. Your marriage isn't working. Can I keep going as a Christian? Of course you can. God will win. He's chosen you from out of every tribe and nation and tongue to make you his child, his son or daughter. He's prepared for you eternal life on this earth and he will keep you. He's an old church, been preaching Christ for nearly 200 years, seeing lives change, showing us that God does win. He's promised. He's powerful. He's the lion and the lamb. Beloved, take comfort. God will win. You've been listening to Scott's Cast, the Bible teaching podcast of Scott's Church, Melbourne.